Welcome to the Berkeley Journal of International Law's podcast, Travaux. I'm your host, Julia Wang, and this is The Current State. Welcome back to Travaux. I'm Julia Wang, and today I'll be talking with Sahima Kilji about the role of international law in climate justice. Hi, Julia. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you start us off by talking about the consequences of the recent flooding in Pakistan and how the international community has responded, if at all? Definitely. So actually, the worst floods in Pakistan's recent history began about six months ago on June 14th, um, and the country is still facing severe long-term consequences. Entire villages were washed away, 1,700 people died, and about 13,000 individuals were injured. These torrents have displaced about 33 million people, about 10 million of whom are children who require nutrition and health services. These deluges are a direct product of worsening climate change, Pakistan's home to over 7,000 glaciers, and record heat waves actually resulted in torrential downpours um, along the Indus River. It melted mountain ice sheets, and then that, paired with like a heavier monsoon season this year, um, contributed to a previously unseen intensity of flooding in Pakistan. The international community's slow response in addressing the multitude of issues that Pakistan has faced in the aftermath of these catastrophes raises a really important question of whether the devastating impacts of global warming will change international law to more effectively address natural disasters. So can you explain the current international law frameworks that address natural disasters? Well, let me start by saying what it doesn't address. Um, Currently, the Geneva Convention does not apply to natural disasters as its scope is limited to armed conflicts. Um, However, International Disaster Response Law, or IDRL, is a field of emerging law that aims to fill this gap. A key player in this work is the International Federation of Red Cross and Crescent Societies, or IFRC. IFRC has created a document that provides guidelines for the domestic facilitation and regulation of international disaster relief and initial recovery assistance, which were adopted in November 2007 by the countries that signed on to the Geneva Convention. However, they're not legally binding, and they simply function as recommendations. And what's included in these recommendations? Yeah, so some of the recommendations that are included is them calling for an expedited visa processing and customs clearance for relief personnel, goods and equipment, facilitation of relief transport, exemptions from taxes, duties and fees on relief activities, Um, and simplified means for humanitarian organizations to acquire temporary domestic legal personality to operate legally in the country. And has the international community been receptive to this? Well, some United Nations human rights experts have argued that the global climate crisis has contributed to these terrible floods and created unprecedented human suffering in Pakistan. Therefore, all countries that have contributed to the global climate crisis have an international obligation to assist Pakistan with its recovery. But certainly, as climate change-fueled disasters intensify, the relevance and need for implementing these guidelines increase. Actually, the Prime Minister of Pakistan, Shabazz Sharif, also echoed the sentiment when he said that he would seek climate justice from the international community. Some commentators, including Sharif, have noted that the devastation caused by the flooding in Pakistan is disproportionately the product of pollution by larger, richer countries. Pakistan's actually responsible for less than 1% of global greenhouse gas emissions. And this idea of rectifying climate injustice implies an international responsibility to aid in the aftermath of climate change-fueled natural disasters, such as the Pakistan floods. 
Some critics actually say that international aid is not enough to rectify the situation. Instead, the international community should also consider climate reparations from the global north. The idea of internationally shared responsibility for climate change fueled natural disasters begs the question of whether there will be a significant change in international law regarding natural disaster response. So like you mentioned before, the 30 million displaced individuals from the Pakistan floods further the question of global responsibility in assisting environmental migrants. Do environmental migrants currently have any rights under international law? So that's a tough question. Currently, environmental migrants are not covered in the definition of refugee under the UN Convention. The UN defines a refugee as someone who is unable or unwilling to return to their country of origin, owing to a well-founded fear of being persecuted for reasons of race, religion, nationality, membership of a particular social group, or political opinion. Since environmental migrants do not fit under this narrow definition, they are not entitled to the same legal protection as refugees. The current interpretation does not address people who are internally displaced or individuals who are displaced due to climate-related issues. Thus, there's not a straightforward legal solution to environmental migrants' rights as there is for refugees. Refugees are allowed to seek and enjoy asylum in other countries. However, Pakistan's 30 million displaced individuals are not entitled to those kind of rights under international law since they are both internally displaced and displaced due to climate-related issues. The lack of consensus on what an environmental migrant is and what liberties they enjoy contributed to the fragmented global response in Pakistan. Thank you for the overview about this gap in international law. Any final takeaways you'd like to share with our audience? Ultimately, the gap that you just mentioned in addressing responses to natural disasters plays a large role in the fragmented international response to Pakistan's devastating floods. These catastrophes bring up a series of questions that could dramatically alter international law. Specifically, with the increase in catastrophes fueled by climate change, the international community must address the injustice faced by nations that have not even contributed to global warming, but still endure its worst effects. However, because the Geneva Convention does not apply to natural disasters, and UN precedent does not address environmental migrants in its definition of refugees, it is no surprise that the international response to disasters like the Pakistan floods is fragmented and slow. This unfairness raises a critical question. Should countries that contribute significantly to greenhouse gas emissions be responsible for taking in refugees from future natural disasters? The international community must answer now. Thank you for being with us today, Sahema. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. Travaux is brought to you by Hiep Wen, Kyle Tang, Julia Wang, and the rest of the online team at the Berkeley Journal of International Law. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please write to us at berkeley.travaux at gmail.com. While we're committed to bringing you international and comparative law news and insight, our podcast is intended for academic and entertainment purposes only. The information presented is not legal advice and may not be current. Please check out the Berkeley Journal of International Law's blog, Travaux. See you next week. Au revoir.